Welcome to Small Business Big Network, the podcast for small business owners who want big results from their networking. I'm Liz Drury, a freelance voiceover artist who knows that if you're not working, then networking could help. Richard Askham is the founder or co-founder of a number of businesses and an expert marketeer and public speaker. He's worked with some well-known global brands and his next project involves marketing on the moon. Thank you very much for being my guest on the podcast, Richard. Absolute pleasure. Nice to hear you. Now, Richard, I had a quick look at your LinkedIn profile yesterday to um, see what you're up to. And you're the founder of Woolly North. You're a co-founder of Ballpix and a co-founder of Gravity. All great names. But what do you do, Richard? <laughs> That's, you know, my mother asks me that on a regular basis. And, and I still actually haven't found a good answer. Um, but I guess what I do is, is sort of prod and poke things into life. Um, that maybe would not have come to life if they had not been prodded and poked. How's that as an answer? Yeah, very woolly. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go, there we go. I mean, the woolly north thing, um, just to, to, to tell you about that, that mm. was actually, um, it was a response to a comment made by probably one of my first major clients back in the day. Um, and they asked where I came from, and I told them where I came from, and I said I was born in Cleethorpes, brought up in Grimsby, and live in Lincolnshire, and they went, oh, the wild and woolly north. <laughs> so I called my consultancy the woolly north after that particular derogatory comment, because there is nothing wild or woolly about where we live. Absolutely not. So what, what's your background, Rich? Where, where, where did you come from? Well, the drinks industry uh, really is is probably the, the one that my family is best known for. My father um, uh, sort of entered into the drinks industry back in the 50s. Um, so I, I was brought up in the world of alcohol, which <laughs> is, uh, you know, a dream job for some people. Um, but um, uh, he was he was responsible, actually, for the first independent off-license that was opened and licensed in the UK uh, in in 1965, I think it was. And this is, you know, a world before supermarkets sold alcohol, a world Mm. really before anybody other than um, uh, off-licenses sold alcohol. So he he came from a brewing background, worked for what was the Grimsby's big brewery, Hewitt's, um, as a stock taker. So his his world was full of the knowledge of, of those products and decided to go out on his own, which is possibly where I get it from. Um, uh, in the mid-60s. He was offered a choice by his boss. You either give up what you're doing as a side project or, um, uh, you, know, or you leave. And he said, well, there's my keys. And he, and he left. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, so I, I do genuinely think I get, I get a little bit of my independent streak from my dear old dad. Um, so yeah, the drinks industry was kind of where I was brought up. And, and to a certain extent, and I'm sure you've heard me say this before, um, what it turned out to be was the storytelling industry because what you, you can't possibly sell somebody a bottle of wine unless you tell them the romantic narrative that is wrapped around it. But the reality is wine is alcohol suspended in liquid, but there's nothing, there's nothing sexy uh, about that from a marketing perspective. So, so we like to spin stories, and, and that's, I grew up doing that. And, and in fact, I, this was in the heart of Grimsby, in the, in the middle of the East Marsh, um, uh, down some very salubrious streets. Um, my dad ended up with about six or seven off-licenses across the area and that was my upbringing yeah and storytelling is is a huge part of what you do now I mean I've heard you speak a, a number of times on stage how, how did you get into that being on this on the speaker's circuit totally by accident um honestly and genuinely uh, I'm still uh, little bits of me are one of the shyest people you'll ever meet um my mum will back me up on on this 
when I was young and at school, um, shyness was the barrier to me getting on a stage and doing anything. The only thing I had in my locker, as it turns out, this is looking back, of course, from mm. the grand old age of 54, looking back at my 14-year-old self, the, the thing I had in my locker was um, humour. Uh, and also, I think the good fortune f- for my brain to be wired to my mouth slightly, <laughs> slightly quicker, uh, you know, like a nanosecond quicker than anybody else in the room. So I got the funny comment in first. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my defense mechanism to a certain extent still is. Uh, but it, it's sort of an inherent skill, I guess, that I've now discovered that I had. Uh, but I, I was too shy to go and use it until somebody very kindly uh, asked me to come and speak at an event about the the Coca-Cola project that I was involved with. Um, And I stood up on a stage and and sort of went, "Mm, quite like this. Um, And somebody said, you're quite good at this. And that was it. So accidentally, I entered the world of public speaking and have not stopped since. So tell us more about the Coca-Cola project, because this this was brilliant. I've I've heard you talk about this before. Well, again, a little bit of uh, momentary luck. I guess most people's business careers are are littered with moments of luck, good and bad, mm. and, and you are neither in charge of, of, of either of those particular directions. But uh, I guess to a certain extent, I've made a little bit of my own luck by being in a world of personalised products. The, the, the drinks business that I sort of entered into via my father morphed into a number of different iterations, as businesses should, and of course, as the competition grew, I had to keep you know moving ahead of it. Uh, being a small business, you can do that. You can be nimble and, and, and make sure that you're constantly moving. And I ended up in a world where the only place for me to add value back into my products was to add personalized labels to them and sell them as gifts because I was getting completely outsold by the supermarkets and the, the nascent sort of um, independent drinks business that had grown up since we started. Uh, so I, I found myself really sort of leading the way, gosh, 12 years ago now, mm-hmm. with uh, personalised labels on champagne, on Prosecco and, and so on, as gifts, sold across the internet by the likes of Not on the High Street and Moon Pig and mm-hmm. all the, you know, buy me a gift, get me a gift, find me a gift.coms um, that, that were sort of blowing up at the time. And then along came Coca-Cola and I was, I was sitting very quietly, minding my own business on a train on the way to London when an email dropped in saying, would you be interested in partnering Coca-Cola with their Share a Coke campaign? Which, of course, I said yes to yeah, instantly. <laughs> then, I, then I said yes again in case they didn't hear me the first time. Um, and, and by hook or by crook, um, I asked them actually, why me? And they said, well, we looked at everybody on the internet that was doing personalized bottles and they were all supplied by you. So the logical <laughs> map was to come back to the source. And Coca-Cola are a, 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 an enormous, I mean, there isn't a word big enough to describe how big they are as mm. a business. But what they can't do is one of anything. They could, do a, they could do a million, they can do a billion, they can do a trillion, but they can't do one. So what they needed was somebody that could break down their supply chain into individual single bottles and put people's names on them. And, and that's what we did and built the website, um, uh, mycopacola.com, I can't remember it for a second, um, in 2014 and yeah, sold 1.8 million bottles of personalized Coca-Cola, one of which is sitting on my desk right now, um, uh, across Europe. And it kind of became... The moment that I always joke with people and say, if you play for England for five minutes, you are forever an England player. Mm. Um, and so I'm always the guy that did the share account campaign. Yeah, 
Yeah. And do you think that do you think there's many other people like you that still have one of those bottles with their name on? I, do you know? I, I yes is the is the answer because rather interestingly, especially because we we were in charge of the the element of it that was the glass commemorative bottles, not mm. the cans and, and plastic bottles that were sold in store. Um, we actually sold the glass bottles, so the original glass Coca-Cola bottles, which largely are keepsakes. And and I was told by Coke that ninety percent of those bottles were never opened because they weren't bought to be drunk. Yeah, and, and that's the point. And and this is the point of personalised um, sort of gifts to a certain extent. It's it's a gift that happens to be made of something. The gift is not the product. So I, you know, I did Marmite, for example, for mm. Unilever, um, and now I hate Marmite, as I'm sure fifty <laughs> percent of your audience do, and the other fifty percent are going, "No, it's gorgeous." Um, but the reality was, you weren't buying somebody a jar of Marmite. You were buying them a gift that happened to be made of it. Mm. Um, and where they rather interestingly got it wrong, Unilever, was they had no idea that we would buy a personalised jar of Marmite for a friend that we knew hated it just because it <laughs> yeah. made us laugh. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so they, they misjudged that and they could have sold 10 times more than they did. Um, but um, that's the British humour for you. <laughs> so coming back to, to talking again, I, I watched your uh, TEDx talk uh, mm. yesterday online. How did you decide what you were going to talk about? Well, it was a bit of a challenge, really. I mean, first and foremost, it was a, a, and remains a badge of honour because you have to be asked to do a TED talk. You can't buy your way in. Mm. You can't. You can't sort of steal your way in. So, and and it is, you know, sort of the Champions League of, of speaking to be able to to put that on your CV. So when I was offered the opportunity, first thing I said was yes. I've got a habit mm. of saying yes and then working out what to do later. Uh, and then talk to my wife about what on earth I should talk about because the premise of TED is that it has to be an idea worth spreading. Mm. It can't it can't be self promotional. It can't be commercial. It's got to be interesting. And they are very qualitative in their um, approach to this. You can you can actually deliver a TED talk, but if they don't particularly like it, they won't broadcast it. Right. And and so then only the hundred people in the room will ever have heard it. Yeah. So it was quite the challenge to come up with something of interest and an idea worth spreading. And my wife, uh, uh, I was going to say my wife at the time, she's still my <laughs> wife. At the time, my wife said, why don't you do something, and she's a personal trainer, why don't you do something that revolves around exercise and use that as the opportunity to think and use that thinking as the opportunity to write. So I got embroiled in this mile a day challenge mm. and she basically challenged me to run a mile a day every day for a month and use that time, that, that between seven and ten minutes, depending on how I was feeling, um, to come up with an idea of a speech. And actually, the idea of the speech, as you heard yesterday, was that that moment in time, that five, six, seven minutes every day, was the anchor point in a freelance world mm. that gave you structure. Because I came, like many people, came from a world where you're largely institutionalised by the walls that you work within. However pretty they are, you're still institutionalised. So when I went fully freelance in 2016... It was the first time I'd been free since, uh, I think, the maternity ward when I arrived on the planet. Um, and, and, you know, you have to learn how to deal with that. So, so the context of the, of the TED Talk was how you build, uh, live in a world without walls. Mm. Um, and so I called it the, the loneliness of the short distance runner, um, paraphrasing really badly um, the, the famous book of the long distance runner. But it seemed to work, and, and to this day, Liz, I still get people um, watching it and telling, ringing me up and, and, and you know, saying, wow, that's, that's, that's made the decision an awful lot easier. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it was great fun. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting. And do, do you still run? 
<laughs> not every day um uh, so yes and no is the answer to that I, I did during the first lockdown like everybody did mm. and then I hurt my hip during the first lockdown like everybody <laughs> yep. did um, and so a combination of of factors means that I, I've never been a runner really um it was a it was a contrived period of time uh, a to keep my wife happy and b to try and, and do this particular challenge uh, but um I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm an avid exerciser but I am I'm not uh, I'm not nothing either. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's an interesting idea, though, about having something that, that builds structure into your, today, into your day. For me, mm. it's walking my dog. Yes. You know, that's the first thing I need to do in the morning, and he needs to go out again in the afternoon, and I plan my day around walking the dog. <laughs> well, we are, by nature, I think, structured people. There's very few people that are free spirits, and there's many people that say they are, but very few that actually are, and I'm certainly not. I like structure. I like organisation. But uh, you know, my working life now revolves around multiple projects uh, that, that happen at any given time on any given day. So there's no regularity and frequency to, right, I'm going to sit down and do some work now because that's not how my life is. So in order to put that order into my world, um, yeah, that, that structural point, that anchor point was, was absolutely crucial. Uh, and you're right, it still needed. My, my dogs get walked at virtually the same time every day. And that, that you know, provides me with the the bit of structure that I can mm. hang the rest of my life on. Yeah. Now, you talked about having multiple projects on the go there, mm. um, and you're working on something really exciting at the moment. <laughs> so tell me about Gravity and NASA. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's just quite the weirdest happenstance, I think, that, that, that uh, I could imagine. Um, and it stems back to, you know, and this is where you should always be careful who you know who's in the room when you're speaking, mm. um, and also what you say, of course. I was in Chicago in 2017, I think, uh, was invited to speak at a conference about personalised Coke. Um, there was a lot of people in the room from the the big sort of uh, commercial brands wanted to hear how it was done and so on and so forth. So I, I found myself in the hotel where Al Capone spent his last <laughs> days uh, in Chicago um, speaking to this audience. And there was a guy in that audience, as it turns out, who was interested in space marketing. <laughs> um, space being the, the next sort of untapped commercial opportunity really we've kind of done everything on this planet you know what's next sort of thing uh he con he waited about a year and then contacted me and said you're the coca-cola guy and I go okay yes uh, how can i help uh, <laughs> and he said i'd really like you to help me with this project um and it was fascinating you know i mean the, the whole notion of space i think captivates all of us which is why we mm. stand out in our gardens and watch a white dot overhead and they tell us it's the international space yeah. station <laughs> and we go wow uh, you know, so it is still at that point of childish excitement for us. Um, and yet, as we've seen in recent weeks, Mr. Branson has gone up, Mr. Bezos has gone up, Mr. Musk goes up on mm -hmm. a regular basis. So, so it, it's not going back in the box, uh, you know, in terms of, of not just space exploration for science, but also for tourism for commercial purposes. In fact, the International Space Station are currently working with Marriott Hotels as to how to create bedrooms wow <laughs> uh, you know so so the, this sort of stuff will come so um uh, the the latest project that we've been asked to get involved in as an agency i actually came up with the name gravity um mainly because i thought it was quite fun to have an email address that was gr at v-i-t-y so gravity <laughs> logo is is just that um and we've been asked to sell the commercial space a little bit like a formula one car mm. on the next and the next moon landing, which is in March 2022, which is the first one for 50 years, uh, nothing has landed on the moon for 50 years, 
and NASA and a company called Intuitive Machines in the US and also uh, SpaceX are going to the moon next March. And my part of my days at the moment is talking to people about selling the space and the digital payload to land on the moon. Wow. Careful, careful what you say when you're in rooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, marketing on the moon. Who, who yeah. ever thought that would be a thing? <laughs> well, do you know what? And the strap line, and I love the strap line, which is the sky is no longer the limit. Wow, yeah. Um, you know, so I'm into, you know, you know me well enough. I'm, I'm into all that sort of stuff that, that, that just, you know, I, I like standing in front of audiences and, and their reaction being, hmm, never thought of that before. Yeah. And, and if you can provoke thought, then you're doing your job as a speaker, I think. Yeah. So obviously that was a bit of serendipity, really, being in the right place at the right time. But let's talk a bit about networking now and how you've used networking within your business in a, in a more deliberate way. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm not a natural networker. I, ironically, I'm, I'm quite good at talking to people, but I don't like it when somebody goes, go on then, talk. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it, it always feels a little bit like New Year's Eve when they say, right, now's the time to have fun. And you go, oh, no, 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 that's not how it works. You know, you have fun when it happens. So I'm, I'm not a natural networker, but I do understand and completely appreciate the value of it. Uh, and I guess for the number of years that I've been around, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, that because I'm the son of a father, um, uh, who was in an industry that, that most people in this area utilized because at some point, not everybody, but at some point, most people have bought alcohol yeah. from my dad. Um, and, and so I'm connected to all of those people's sons and daughters mm. by virtue of just history. Yeah. So my own network, as it were, has actually been proliferated by, are you Ralph Ascom's son? And, or are you Jane Askham's brother, which is the one that really irritates me. Um, but, but uh, you know, so I, I find myself with one of those recognizable names in a relatively small area. I and mean, you know yourself, Liz, that, that it's a big village where mm -hmm. we live. Yeah. And, and if you have one of those recognizable names, of which there are many, um, then at the very least you are already two rungs up the ladder before you've even started a conversation. I also had the good fortune, I think, to be in, in that industry that, people are always interested in, you know, oh, what's a good wine then is, mm. is always the, you know, well, the one, the one that you like is my answer. Um, <laughs> you know, so, but at the very least it, it spawns a conversation. So it's not like I'm selling loo cleaner or, uh, you know, something that nobody wants to talk about. Um, and therefore the conversation in those situations flows. So I found myself to be adept at networking in situations that aren't necessarily created for that sole purpose. Mm. Uh, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, and, and I think that for businesses, they shouldn't overlook the opportunity. Every time you talk to somebody is an opportunity to make a contact, is to make an impression, is to make somebody think, hmm, that guy knows what he's talking about. Yeah. And so you, and then you get these people that ring you back a year later and say, I want you to do something on the moon. Um, you know, and, and so and the, this for me is the value of networking. It's not the short-term value. It's not what I can get today. It's sowing that seed in somebody's mind that when they come to need you or somebody like you, you've made the impression that allows them to think, I'm going to ring that guy up. Yeah. Yeah, this is something that I, I spoke about on the podcast a few weeks ago, that networking opportunities are, are everywhere, not just at networking meetings. And I, I'm sure when you've given a talk, I'm sure that leads to lots of uh, leads for you. Well, 100%. And I mean, I do quite a lot of speaker coaching now with, with people that want to get better at speaking on stage. And, and uh, in fact, the pandemic has been a hugely 
um, strange time for many reasons, but not least of which people want to get better at talking on Zoom. Mm. Um, so, you know, so I, I, I do a lot of that. And in, and in fact, I'm still involved in the TED program because I'm currently coaching uh, the latest crop of TED talkers for uh, the, the Lincoln event that, that we're putting on in October. Um, and the thing that I say to all of them is, rather interestingly, there is public speaking and there is speaking in public. Now, speaking in public is something that we all do every day, all the time. Standing at the bus stop, standing in the pub, we yep. are quite happy to engage people in conversation. We don't see that as difficult. Yeah. And yet, the second you say, would you like to do some public speaking, everybody's terrified. Yeah. So to your point about networking, speaking in public is networking. Yep. Um, it doesn't have to be at an event. You don't have to have a, 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 a you know a sort of a bad sandwich in your left hand and try and hold a glass in your right <laughs> hand and you know and write down somebody's name with your other hand that you don't have. It it is just literally taking advantage of the opportunity to talk to people. This is why I'm a bang on all the time about the value, the lost art of conversation. You know, we we live in a digital and technical world. Brilliant. That allows us to all do our jobs from anywhere in the world. Fantastic but it shouldn't replace conversation because that's what people remember. You don't remember the email, but you do remember the conversation. And, and so my advice to anybody listening to this today is talk to people. Yeah, absolutely. So just finally then, what are your thoughts on the future of work and the future of networking? I'm really excited about it, Liz. I, I think what's happened in the last 18 months has and will continue to revolutionise everything, I think. Uh, and anybody that's waiting for normal to come back is going to be hugely disappointed mm. because I, I think the world has moved on to the yeah. next normal rather quickly uh, you know we've been thrown into it um in, in many ways you know uh, not by the way we would have chosen at all but developmentally if you asked any of the businesses that are now benefiting from this they weren't expecting to benefit from this from about for about another five six seven years yeah and it's all kind of happened all of a sudden so and I go back to what I said at the beginning. I, I think I inherit my desire to be independent from my father, but also I quite like the point of change. The, 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 the day that I'm most excited about in any business is the first day. Mm. Um, and then actually the, the next one is the 100 days in when you realize you've done everything wrong and you have to do it all, <laughs> do it all again. Um, so I think we are largely, as a, as a country, as an economy, as a world, we feel a little bit like a startup. Uh, which if you embrace that and think, okay, we can't do any of the things that we used to do, but look at all the things that we can do now. Yeah. It's possibly, ridiculously, and I mean this with all due respect to anybody that's suffered personally from the last 18 months, it's possibly one of the most exciting moments in our history. The biggest problem is, Liz, we won't be around particularly to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. It will happen around us, and, and then our children's children's children will study this era in history and go, wow. That was like the Industrial Revolution yeah. all over again. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is historical. Um, it's hideous in many ways, and it's exciting in many others. And I think if you can latch onto the excitement and, and go with it, then I think that you know, the future is bright. Absolutely. So just as a very last thing then, if people want to contact you, Richard, what's the best way to get hold of you? Probably come and find me on LinkedIn. Um, I think that's, that's a good, from a business perspective, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, business on LinkedIn and, and I've got a nice strong network on there which I can help people with if, even if they're looking for somebody that I might know um, you know I think that for me is a, a digital network that is probably under leveraged by businesses mm. um, so I think yeah I would recommend come and find me on LinkedIn it's A-S-K-A-M there is no H in Askham uh, <laughs> everybody puts an H in again eh, you'll never find me so uh, come and find me Richard Askham on LinkedIn and I would love to meet you Lovely. Thanks very much, Richard. Liz, absolute pleasure. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to Small Business Big Network. If you found this podcast useful, please do rate, review and subscribe. And don't forget to share it with the rest of your network too.